0: I'm going to read the passage this morning, and uh, and we're going to get going a little bit verse by verse, but I first want to kind of set it up and read the passage together. The chunk of our scripture is going to be 30 through 40 of John 6, but we're going to start in verse 25 to set context, okay? So let's start in uh, John chapter 6, verse 25. Follow along as I read. Be encouraged by the word of God. Here we go. When they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, When did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, speaking of miracles, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, speaking of their their physical, materialistic craving. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures all the way to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him... On Jesus, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, the Father has set his seal, his approval, his blessing to be the one to preach the truth and bring those to the Father. They said this, then they said this to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign, here's our, here's starting our passage for today. So then they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. Speaking of the old Testament with Moses, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven back in the day, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He's speaking of himself being on a mission from the Father. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Confusing verse. We're going to explain that in just a minute. For this is the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Lots to cover. Three or four big things going on here in this teaching from Jesus. I want to start out our time, oddly enough, by going back to the Old Testament in Psalm 42. Consider this passage As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I start there for a reason. You see, this describes every single person in this room. This describes every single individual that's been... Created, that's been made, that's been born. We all have this longing to be satisfied in God. And as we're going to learn this morning, we try satisfying that craving with a number of things that were never intended to satisfy. So we live lives of frustration, regret, Guilt, because the satisfaction that is was, that was intended to be found in God alone, we seek in other things. My prayer is this morning, and has been this week, is that we will all find in Christ our soul's satisfaction. Okay, that's what I've been praying for you. That's what I'm praying for me. Is that we daily see Christ as our satisfaction, okay? All right, now, as we go into the verse by verse here, trying to unpack this more clearly, I want to set some context in what's happened up until this point to bring greater light to what, what's going on here in this story, okay? So if you haven't been around last several weeks, if you're not privy to what's going on in John chapter 6 at all, I want to help you out, Okay? Here's the deal. The Jews want Jesus to be their king because he does a lot of cool tricks. The Bible calls them signs and wonders, miracles, okay? He can make cool things happen, like heal lepers, make cripples run, feed thousands and thousands of people with a lunchbox of food. They like this they 're thinking, man, we can really exploit this we can man, this can help our economy, this can help us like this is going to be a game changer if we can set him up to be our king but christ, his purpose wasn 't political, it was redemptive it was it was spiritual it wasn 't physical it, it wasn 't to feed bellies as much as much more. it was to feed these starving souls. That are longing for a relationship with God, His Father. So they follow Him. And Jesus has compassion on them. And in context, He serves them all day long. Meaning, He performs miracles, miraculous things. People walking who for years and decades couldn't walk. He serves these people all day long. And then they become hungry this day in context of the story. And he feeds them. This is somewhere around 15 to 25,000 people. He feeds with a little bit of bread and a couple of fish. He multiplies it. It's an incredible miracle. He fed them fish that had never been in water. He fed them bread that were, that the grain never grew in the field. He just created in front of everybody. And it says that they had their fill. And that there were baskets and baskets and baskets of bread left over. More than enough. More than sufficient. An incredible miracle. Following this miracle, Jesus dismisses the crowd. Because they're only pursuing him for the physical, for their bellies. And then he dismisses his disciples and tells them, go on ahead, go ahead and hit the seven-mile trek to get across to Capernaum. I'm going to remove myself to go pray. So the night falls, the disciples go on their way, some of the crowd lingers as we learn. A lot of the crowds maybe go home, but we know for sure a lot stayed. And as the disciples go across that evening, they spend, Matthew says, up to 12 hours rowing three or four miles. They had set sail. A great storm hits. They drop sail. They can't handle the sail being up. They begin to row. And they row, fighting this storm for hours. And Jesus, up on the mountain, completely aware of what's going on, walks on water. <laughs> Ridiculous, right? It's crazy. He looks at his disciples and say, it is I, do not be afraid. And I love that. Again, I'll say it, I've said it two weeks in a row because it just rings so true and helpful to my soul. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to stop the storm. You're not going to die. You're not going to drown. He doesn't address, according to John, the storm. He just says, it is I, therefore, you do not have to be afraid. In the storm or out of the storm, it's me here with you. My presence changes everything. You do not have to be afraid. Application to us today. Regardless of what we're going through. When Christ is with us, our fears have every right to vanish. Because of who he is. We're not promised he's going to remove us from our storm, but we are promised that for those who are in Christ Jesus, he is with us in and through and out of every storm we may face in life. Storm, not just weather. You know what I'm talking about. Sickness, death, disease, loss, despair, loneliness. He's with us. We don't have to fear. Amen. This is good. This is who he is, as we're going to see even more. So, the crowd the next day, we learn they do not listen to him. They stay, they observe that that Jesus didn't get in the boat. They saw the 12 get in the boat and leave, they didn't see any other boats leave. They couldn't find Jesus. So they load up and set sail with some others that had come in from Tiberias, another city close by, and they hop in with them and they go across to Capernaum seeking Christ. So they find Jesus. And that's where we have verse 25. Okay. I try to paint a picture of where we are in the story. So now let's pick up 25 and work verse by verse. Now, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, rabbi or teacher, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them. He didn't say I walked on water. He just says, he gets to the heart of the matter. Truly, truly, repetition here to point out significant truth following here. I say to you, you are seeking me, which is good, but motive changes everything. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, though they did see signs. What Christ is pointing to is that they didn't see what the miracles themselves were pointing to. They merely saw the physical. They didn't see the spiritual implications of the power of that miracle. Okay? You merely saw the signs. You didn't see what the signs were pointing to. So you're not seeking me because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're seeking me because I can help you materialistically, physically, temporally. Do not work for the food that perishes. For the things that are fleeting, not lasting, not eternal, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So you want to work? I'll tell you this, just believe. Just believe me and what I am teaching you. Work at that. Verse 30. And this is what we're picking up from our, for our passage for this week. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may believe you? What work do you perform? Again, referring back to Moses, verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness If you want that story, go to Exodus 16, jot that down, look at it later this week. Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. The patience of Christ here is remarkable. Jesus just performed a miracle of multiplying the bread and the fish to feed thousands and thousands of people. But they failed to see the significance of it or believe his claims. So they asked for another sign. If I were Christ, I would say, are you kidding me? Are you, were you not here yesterday? Let's go back 12 hours. Where were you? What did I do? Did you eat? Okay, okay, what, what miracle? What, what just took place? Why can't you understand this? But Jesus isn't like Jeremy in his frustration. Jesus sees this as an opportunity to show compassion and teach more of his love and his perseverance for these people. You see, their bellies aren't filled anymore. Moses, in the Old Testament, multiplied and provided this food, this manna from heaven, daily for 40 years. So they want Jesus to continue to be like Moses and provide for their needs. What they failed to see is that Moses was a type of Jesus, a type of Christ, pointing to him fulfilling more than just physical, but even more to the spiritual, to the eternal. So they were wanting Jesus to be a type of Moses because Moses was so epic in their eyes in Judaism. But what they had to see is that that Moses was merely a tool used by the sovereign father to point peoples to the sovereign son. Manna was God's miracle Of providing for his people day by day. It was used to help meet the physical needs. But also to show God's, the father, God's love, his generosity, his faithful provision, and the rescue of his children. The manna was never intended to be an end. In and of itself, it was pointing to Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants them to see beyond the the manna, beyond the bread, beyond the signs and see a loving and faithful God. A loving and faithful father meeting the needs of his beloved children. You see, our God is faithful. Amen. That's where an amen goes, okay? Our God is a good giver. Amen. What we should look for is not the temporal, the fleeting, the materialistic stuff but look to jesus that's what our soul craves whether we realize it or not and my prayer is that today we will see this more clearly that we will see that what we need isn't jesus to meet this need and this need and this need but jesus is our need and if we have him regardless of our other needs we can have the satisfaction our soul can rest we can have peace This is my prayer for us. And then 32 happens. Jesus then says to them, again, this repetition to gain attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. And here, if you were a devout Jew and you loved Moses the way these men loved Moses, your heart would start racing. You'd get this lump in your throat. You felt obligated to Call Jesus to repentance because he's knocking your man. He's knocking the one that you hold so much on. He's speaking of the fact that he's greater than Moses. You feel obligated to defend Moses because you don't see Christ as a greater Moses, as we'll see. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father. He doesn't say gave you. It's interesting. He said, Gives you right now. He literally, He is giving you the true bread. This is emphatic. This is the true bread from heaven. Right now, He's saying, All right, so Moses was given from God to give you, which is a gift from God, not Moses, to meet your needs. But the father is continuing this work to provide for you. And he's giving right now. And again, it's it's just one of those moments where you just feel Christ saying, I'm here. I'm what you're looking for. He's giving it to you right now. Would you just look at me? Would you see me for who I really am? You see, Moses wasn't the main player. In the Old Testament that they're speaking of here, of giving the bread, it was the Father. He was the giver. The manna wasn't the main point. Jesus himself says, man was not meant to live on bread alone. This is always pointing towards the God that loves us and the God that gives eternal life. So that we can be with him. That's the point of the manna. The true bread is given to you. Do you see that? I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my father gives you. He's speaking truth to these people. When I personally would dismiss them out of frustration. He continues to call them to faith. To call them to believe in who he is. This true bread is giving to you. I'm telling you over and over and over again, this is for you. This bread is being offered for you from the Father. Just believe me. Is that the essence of what Christ is saying here? Let's look at verse 33, describing the real bread. For the bread of God is he who comes down. it should still blow us away that Jesus left the perfection and glories of heaven to enter our horrible world. As Pastor Jacob was reading, and to take on temptation and fight through that and suffer beatings and suffer death and have to fight death And when at the resurrection, that wasn't an easy thing, okay? That's a big deal. For the bread of God, speaking of himself here, he's painting him a picture, is he who comes down from the Father, Christmas, right? Our Savior's born. Who comes down from the Father, from heaven, and gives life. Life to the world. And he's essentially here, he's painting them the truth. That in the Old Testament, Moses was given this bread to feed the Israelites, the children of Israel. But what the the true bread is going to do is to feed eternal life for people in not just a particular tribe of the Jews here but of every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. He's speaking of the, the, the scope, the reach of His love and His provision and His rescue and His faithfulness. The world. Consider two passages of Scripture out of John that we've already studied. First, John 1. In the beginning was the word... And the word was with God. The word here is, again, pointing to Jesus. In the beginning, the word Jesus was Jesus. And the word Jesus was with God. And Jesus, the word, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things are made through him. And without him, without Jesus, was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Consider John 3 16 and 17, a passage that we're going to explore more today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What a giver. He gives his one and only son that whoever believes, this is what Christ is calling them towards, is this belief, this simple belief. Just believe me, have faith in me. But whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die. But have eternal life. The negative, they're not going to die. The positive, they're going to have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Consider those two passages, John 1, John 3. Let's look back at John 6, 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. He gave his only begotten son, his only son. And gives life to the world. This was Christ's mission. It was not to simply feed people bread. It was to point to the greater satisfaction of simply having your belly filled. Of having your heart transformed into the true image and likeness of God. Fit for heaven. This is our hope. Verse 34. They said to him, sir, give us this bread. But don't just do it once. Give us this bread always. Right? Is that not wonderful? Right? Is, you're thinking that's good. Motive changes everything. You see, this is the same reaction that the woman at the well in John 4 gave Christ. When she says, sir, give me this water so that I may never thirst again. She's not speaking of her soul. She's not speaking of eternity. She's speaking right now in the here and now. I don't want to have to carry these buckets anymore. I don't want to have to carry these water buckets and water pails. I don't want to have to worry about being, you know, having to quench my thirst again. So these people are saying, hey, we don't want to have to worry about the, the physical food anymore. If you could take this longing from us, we don't have to stop and break. We don't have to worry about providing for ourselves. Like this would just, man, we could really do well if we never had to eat again. They're seeing the physical. They're not seeing the spiritual. And this is the default mode for us. That's why at the beginning, I prayed that God would help us, despite our physical eyes and physical ears, that he would speak to us spiritually. And let our eyes see what it is that he wants us to see. And that he would open our ears so we would hear what the Spirit of God says. Because we can hear words. We can understand truths. But unless it connects here to our soul, to our heart. Does it change anything? And that's only the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I prayed that he would do this for us. Okay? Because as these people, we're so stuck on the physical. Then verse 35. An incredible declaration from Jesus Christ. And this is the beginning. He he gives us seven that we're going to explore later in the coming weeks. Seven I am statements. I am Blank. I am this. I am this. As we unpack. Today is the first one of seven. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And he unpacks this in verse 41, verse 48, verse 51, verse 58. Five times in this one chapter. He doesn't want us to miss this truth. I am the bread of life. Whoever. Whoever comes to me. Shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me, so the coming to him as well as the belief in him connected. Same thing. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus nourishes people spiritually and satisfies the deep spiritual longings of their souls. He's the answer to Psalm 42 that we opened up with. He's the one that helps our heart find that satisfaction. We all have this craving, this hunger. We've all been created in the image of God. And what this means in part is that we have a God-shaped void, as it were, that will only be filled and fulfilled with a personal relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ. This void will never be satisfied with a better health. This void will never be satisfied with more friends. This void will never be satisfied by a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a fiance, a husband, a wife, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, children who are missionaries for Jesus across the world. That will not fulfill the void in your heart. This void will never be satisfied with fame and notoriety and human approval, applause. This void will never be satisfied by more money or a better job. This void will never be satisfied by a greater level of comfort and safety. This void will never be satisfied by you gaining more control. This void will never be satisfied by you conquering your fears and feeling limitless. Our void was never intended to be satisfied by these things. This void is satisfied in Christ alone. This void, this craving, is only satisfied in Christ alone. Nothing will ever satisfy like Jesus. Nothing. Our souls were made for him. Every desire we have is an echo, a longing for him. Every person that we will ever meet and come in contact with was made to be satisfied in Christ. Whether they know it or not, this is why we tell them of Jesus. This is why we offer them such beautiful satisfaction through Christ alone. The search for this hunger being satisfied can stop with Jesus because he can satisfy. It's what he does. It's what we were created to be, is to be satisfied in him daily. So Jesus is essentially saying here, I want a people who hungers and finds their satisfaction in me and nothing else. Come to Jesus. Believe Jesus. What a wonderful invitation to true, lasting, eternal satisfaction. You tired? You weary? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is who he is. This is what he does. He came here to give your soul rest. That's why he's here. This thirst. This is the same truth that runs parallel with hunger. You see, saving faith, faith that saves, belief that saves, is finding your satisfaction in Christ. It's fighting to find your satisfaction in Christ daily and nothing else. This saving faith is craving nothing more than Jesus Christ. Pray for this. Fight for this. Pray for this in your life. Pray for this in the lives of others. Do all you can to see Him as more attractive than anything else. Savor Jesus Christ. To those who are seeking to be in Christ, pursue Him. Worship Him with your life, with your time that you have in life, with what you've been given, whether it's talents, whether it's money, whatever it may be. Use it to prove that He's your satisfaction and not that stuff. You are given money to prove to the world that money isn't your hope, that Christ is. What testimony are we saying with our money? What are you telling others? Your time was given to you so that you could prove to others that this fleeting life is not your hope, that what is eternal and lasting is life in Christ. You were given your house, your car to prove to others that your house and your car isn't where your hope is placed. You were given these things as an opportunity to prove to those who are around you that those aren't epic to you, that Christ is. Everything in life is this way. It wasn't given to you so that you would find peace and satisfaction in those things. It's impossible. Place your eyes on Christ. Believe Christ. See him as that satisfaction that nothing else can come close to touching. But only for a moment. You might feel, oh, this is great. But just wait. Wait. It won't fulfill. It won't truly satisfy. That's their problem. They were hungry again. They were following Jesus because he was supposed to make them not hungry again. And they would come back and be hungry again. They would come back and be hungry again. He came to satisfy eternally. Not just a meal and a meal and a meal. Those meals and him providing these miracles was to point to the fact that he's more than able to take care of their lives forever, not just now. Get a little warm up here. <laughs> to those who are seeking to be in Christ, pursue him, worship him, read and study the Bible. It's given to you. So that you would know your savior. So that you would know your creator. Some people refer to it as a love letter. Read it. Know the one who loves you. Pray. Talk to him. I don't know how to do that. Right? Just open your mouth. People tell me so many times, man, I'm so discouraged about this. And I'm frustrated about this. And, you know, I'm excited about this thing. But this thing really gets me I say, have you told that to Jesus. Well, no, not really. Well, what if you just told that, just like you told it to me, what if you just told that to Jesus? What if you said, I'm really frustrated about this. I'm, I, I'm excited about this, but I'm not, I, I don't really know what to think about this. This is kind of bummed me out a little bit. Like, just like you would talk to anyone else. That's what prayer is. It's not all of what it is, but it's a lot of what it is. Study scripture, worship, pray, repent. <laughs> this is beautiful. This repentance is when we see, yeah, we've messed up. And you see the perfection of Christ and what he did for you in his life and his death and his resurrection. And you run to him and you cling to him as, as your satisfaction, leaving whatever it was that you were seeking satisfaction in and saying, no, that is insufficient. That can't satisfy me. Jesus can. And you see Christ. You behold him. You believe him. That's what repentance is. I think a lot of us in this room this morning must take on repentance today. Would you join me and be called to repentance today? And say, Father, I'm sorry for pursuing satisfaction in this and in this and in this Well, no, not, well, yeah, in that, and in this, and this too. And yeah, I thought this was noble, but really it was to get approval. So would you forgive me of this? And would I run to you and see you as the true satisfaction that I was seeking in these things? That's what it means to repent. Would you go there with me? During our communion time, in just a few moments... Would you rehearse that? Would you call this moment back and be found in repentance with many of those around you here, with me? I pray the Holy Spirit does that in your heart. For those who are seeking to be in Christ, pursue Him. Connect with the church family for accountability, for friendship, for community. Fulfilling this hunger, fulfilling this thirst. Then look at 36. So here we go. They, they do not believe Jesus. After all this teaching, they do not believe him. Verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me physically, and yet you do not believe me spiritually. Because you only see me physically. Just as with the signs, they saw them, but failed to see their significance. They only watched and thought physically. They did not come to him alone for satisfaction. Now we're segmenting in to a very powerful portion of scripture. One that is misused and misunderstood a lot. Hope to bring clarity for us today. You see, up until this point, this crowd... Fails. They're called to believe and see Christ, but they fail. They see him, but do not believe him. But what if God gets involved? Follow me here. What if God gets involved with their situation? Could he take people who fail to see him and cause them to see him? Yeah, as we're going to see. As we move in this direction, I want to read a portion from Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. This is a letter written from Paul to a church in Ephesus back in the day. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, unpacking what part of this is, even as he chose us in him, Before the foundation of the world. Before Genesis 1. That blows my mind. Okay. That's where I just kind of. Can't get that. Paul considers it a mystery. Even as he chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world. Chose us for what? That we should be holy and blameless before him. Speaking to. That we will be justified. That our souls would be. Fit for heaven. In love. He predestined us. For adoption. As sons through Jesus Christ. Sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of His glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Christ. You see that capital B? In Christ. Let that set the table. Now let's go. Jesus isn't finished with this crowd yet. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, will believe me. Okay? And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The father gives a people to the son. He's he's a sovereign god. He's in control of everything. Because the father gives to the son, those given will always believe him. Because he's a sovereign god. Christian God gave you to Jesus. This is how you were saved. This is what the Bible teaches. This should cause an intense burning within of gratitude towards Jesus, towards our heavenly Father. Okay, And those who are given to Jesus and come to Jesus are never lost, ever. This is deeply encouraging to me. Consider Romans 8. What we celebrated Easter, who is at the right hand of God right now, who indeed is interceding for us, who is praying for us. Jesus right now is praying for you. When you don't have words to express in prayer, a great comfort is that Jesus is praying for you. This is deeply encouraging. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Paul continues in Romans 8. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, not in and of ourselves. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present now, Nor things to come in the future, the unknown, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Again, those who are given to Jesus and come to Jesus believing Jesus are never, ever, ever, ever lost. Philippians 1.6 comes at this a different angle. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, speaking of God's activity in your life, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is a great comfort for us. Do not resist the fact that God is sovereign and that he is in control. You would not want a God who took things on by surprise. You would not want a God who was not in control. Logically process that out. And I know it's a confusing passage of scripture. And I'm sure there's people in here resisting this. I know there is. I I mean, I, I, I wrestle in this tension. As we come across text. This is a little footnote in the sermon, okay? At the Axis family here. As we come across text that says that we are obligated to work hard and to fight hard, we do so and we preach this text that we do so through the power of the Holy Spirit, not merely our flesh. And we fight. We go at it. We struggle. We go hard. And when there's passages that say that God is in control, despite our efforts, we trust in Him. And we still fight hard. And we teach it. We preach it. God is sovereign. He's big. He's big. So man's responsibility or God's sovereignty? Yes. It's okay. You don't have to have, a, have a, all your theological truths figured out and judge people for not having your correct theological position. I've been there. It's lonely. You're critical. You're mean. I've been there. When the Bible teaches that he's sovereign, let's teach that he's sovereign. When it says that we are responsible to respond, let's be responsible and respond. Okay, So don't let this message today discourage you. Let this encourage you. See today as making much of our God and much of Jesus. Let's keep rolling. Verse 38 in the footnote. Let's move forward. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Consider these passages of Scripture. I have come down from heaven. So we celebrate at Christmas. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. He has come down from heaven to do the Father's will. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who was perfect, who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God, holy and blameless, justified, perfect, fit for heaven. And then 1 Peter 3.18 He came down from heaven for this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous himself, for the unrighteous, that's us, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but making us alive in the spirit. This was his mission. You see, there's three important things to believe and and have faith in regarding what Jesus Christ did for you. Three big things that always, when I think gospel, I think these three things. It's Christ was our representative in his life. He lived a perfect life, we just read it, without sin. And he lived that perfect life to take the place of our life, which is full of sin. Okay? He also died our death as our substitute in order... To make satisfaction or atone for our sin. Lived as our representative. Died as our substitute. And what he was doing on the cross was not just dying. It was what was placed on him. Jesus didn't sin, but on the cross he became sin for us what that means is he took the penalty, the just penalty, the just wrath of God that was poured out towards our sin that he took and absorbed himself. This is what the Bible considers to be our propitiation, our wrath bearer, our wrath absorber. He was as if it were a wrath sponge and God sent all his fury against sin. Why? Because he's mean? No, because he's perfect and just. And if he did not judge sin, he would cease to be God. Because of his holiness, he sends out his wrath towards sin. And it doesn't come to us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he became sin for us. He became that punishment, that condemnation on the cross. That's why he was, That's what he was doing when he was dying on the cross. So he lived the perfect life for us, okay? Now our life is perfect. But he died the death that we deserve for our sin. Because it has to be paid for. We can't just be given a clean slate for his perfect life. There still has to be a death paid. There's a penalty here. We take that as our substitutionary atonement. Where he died on the cross for our sin. But then he beats death. And so Jesus is our representative in life. Our substitute in death. And he's our victor in his resurrection. And ascension to the father. And we get to be with him in all three of those things. Because we are in Christ, we are associated with his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. This is where our hope comes from. Because of his work for us on our behalf. And he's looking at the crowd as he looks at you today and says, believe it. The work's done. Believe it. verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me given me but raise it up on the last day. This speaks to more than just the soul of a person. This speaks to our bodies. It's kind of crazy. But he's saying I will not lose I should lose nothing of all the people that he has given me. But raise it up, raise up their bodies on the last day. Nothing in this world is firmer or more secure or more powerful than the will of God. Verse 40, this is a comfort. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. This life that he gives is eternal you will never be lost Jesus himself will raise you up from the dead here God will not fail this is his will when he is involved they stay when he is involved they are saved Isaiah 46 says Verses 9 and 10, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not done yet, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. His will is firm. Nothing can separate you from him or his purposes. Nothing. This is such safety. In conclusion here, wrapping this up today. So how can I know I'm elect or chosen or adopted, safe in the salvation of Jesus and not lost? It's a very important question. You know that you belong to the son if you come to the son. If you believe him. So come, run to Jesus, eat, drink, be satisfied forever. If you're separated from Jesus today, run to Jesus and believe him and what he did for you in his life, death, and resurrection. Are you in Christ today? Then be satisfied in Jesus. Savor him. Continue savoring him. Trust him. Continue to trust in him. Regardless of where you stand today in Christ, if you're here today Know that he is pursuing you. Jesus loves you. Do not do as the crowd and misunderstand Jesus and his heart for you, his plan for you. See him and believe him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, Lord, your Your spirit being with us and helping us and teaching us and comforting us and allowing these things to ring true to our souls. Or would you be with your people as they respond? Would they be in that posture of their soul repenting, considering the things that they place their satisfaction in and seeing you as the only one who can fulfill what their heart is going after those things for? Would they rest in the comfort of you being sovereign? Would they feel loved, protected, guarded, shielded by you? Lord, help us. May we not misunderstand you as this crowd. May we not ignore you. May we believe you. In Christ's name I ask these things. Amen.